Hello and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer or Middle East soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Controversy over a recent dismantling global Hindu Tava conference that targeted a politically charged expression of Hindu nationalism raises questions that go far beyond the anti-Muslim discriminatory policies of Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government and ruling party. The conference and responses to it highlight a debilitating deterioration in the past two decades, especially since 9-11, of the standards of civility and etiquette that jeopardize civil, intelligent, and constructive debate and allow expressions of racist, Islamophobic, and anti-Semitic attitudes to become mainstream. Organizers of the conference that was co-sponsored by 53 American universities, including Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, Columbia, Berkeley, University of Chicago, University of Pennsylvania, and Rutgers, insisted that they distinguish between Hinduism and Hindutava, Mr. Modi's notion of Hindu nationalism, that enables discrimination against and attacks on India's 200 million Muslims. The distinction failed to impress critics who accused the organizers of Hindu phobia. Some critics charged that the framing of the conference demonstrated a pervasiveness of groupthink in academia and an unwillingness to tackle similar phenomena in other major religions, particularly Islam. The campaign against the conference appeared to have been organized predominantly by organizations in the United States, with links to militant right-wing Hindu nationalist groups in India, including some with a history of violence. The conference's most militant critics threatened violence against conference speakers and their families, prompting some participants to withdraw from the event. Opponents of political Islam noted that Western academia has not organized a similar conference about the politicization of the faith, even though powerful states like the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt have lobbied Western capitals against the Muslim Brotherhood and its Turkish and Qatari supporters, with notable successes in France, Austria, Belgium, and Britain. Academia was likely to have been hesitant to tackle political Islam because Islamophobia is far more prevalent than Hinduphobia. Moreover, perceptions of political Islam are far more complex and convoluted. Islam is frequently conflated with political expressions and interpretations of the faith that run a gamut from supremacist and conservative to more liberal and tolerant. They also lump together groups that adhere and respect the election process and ones that advocate violent jihad. Scholars and analysts declared an end to political Islam's heyday with the military coup in Egypt in 2013 that toppled Mohamed Morsi, a Muslim brother who was elected president in Egypt's first and only free and fair poll. Political Islam's alleged swan song loomed even larger with this year's setbacks for two of the most moderate Islamist political parties in Tunisia and Morocco, as well as hints that Turkey may restrict activities of Islamists operating in exile from Istanbul. A more fundamental criticism of the framing of the Hindu Tava conference is its failure to put Hindu Tava in a broader context. That context involves the undermining of the social cohesion of societies 
made up of collections of diverse ethnic and religious communities since Osama bin Laden's 9-11 attacks on New York and Washington. The attacks fueled the rise of ultranationalism and politicized expressions of religious ultraconservatism, not only in the Hindu world, but also in the worlds of other religions. These included politicized ultraconservative Islam, politicized evangelism, and Buddhist nationalism. Right-wing religious nationalism in Israel, unlike Islamism and politicized evangelism, is shaped by ultranationalism rather than religious ultraconservatism. The words of religious ultranationalism and politicized expressions of religious ultraconservatism are often mutually reinforcing. Scholar Cynthia Miller Idris's assessment of the impact of Al-Qaeda's 9-11 attacks on the United States is equally true for India or Europe. Mrs. Miller Idris said that in the wake of the 9-11 attacks, the rise of violent jihadism reshaped American politics in ways that created fertile ground for right-wing extremism. The attacks were a gift to peddlers of xenophobia, white supremacism, and Christian nationalism, as dark-skinned Muslim foreigners bent on murdering Americans, Al-Qaeda terrorists, and their ilk seemed to have stepped out of a far-right fever dream. She added that almost overnight, the United States and European countries abounded with precisely the fears that the far-right have been trying to stoke for decades. The comparison of politically charged militant nationalist and ultra-conservative expressions of diverse religions takes on added significance in a world that has seen the emergence of civilizationalist leaders. Scholar Sumantra Bose attributes the rise of religious nationalism in non-Western states like Turkey and India to the fact that they never adopted the Western principle of separation of state and church. Instead, they based their secularism on the principle of state intervention and regulation of the religious sphere. As a result, the rejection of secularism in Turkey and India fits a global trend that conflates a dominant religious identity with national identity. Sarah Kamali, the author of a recently published book that compares militant white nationalists to militant Islamists in the United States, notes similar patterns while drawing parallels between far-right xenophobes and militant Islamists. Mrs. Kamali wrote that militant Islamist sense of victimhood is similar to that of their white nationalist counterparts in that it is constructed and exploited to justify their violence. Both mutually and exclusively target America for the purpose of claiming the nation as theirs and theirs alone, either as a white ethnostate or as part of a global caliphate. Similarly, the Taliban defeat of a superpower energized militant Islamists as well as proponents of Hindu Taba, with Islamophobic narratives spun by Mr. Modi's followers gaining new fodder with the assertion that India was being encircled by Muslim states hosting religious extremists. Douglas London, the CIA's counterterrorism chief for South and Southwest Asia until 2019 said that Modi is helping the recruitment of jihadist groups by taking such a hard, repressive line against the Islamic community in India who are now being forced to see themselves as being repressed. 
Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, at mideastsoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.